Any questions from anyone before we begin? Okay. So this, the second chapter we're studying of the Gita, it's called Yoga of Knowledge. Aruna has, Arjuna has collapsed on the floor and completely surrendered to Krishna. Please guide me, instruct me what I should do. Arjuna is now ready to receive Krishna's guidance. Krishna starts his sermon to Arjuna to help revive him and lift him from this bad state that he is in. This chapter two is divided into six topics. The first topic was a continuation of Arjuna's sad state, despondent state. And then from verse 11, to 30, Krishna only talks about the self. Only talks about Atman, the I, how it is everlasting, imperishable. What is perishable in a human being? What is perishable in a human being? The body. The body. The physical body is the only perish perishable part. God and Vasnas equals human being. So the goal in life, we said, is to reduce our Vasnas, not generate new ones, good or bad. We've come with X amount. If we can exhaust that X amount, then we become self-realized. Krishna and Arjuna placed between the two armies represent the good and bad nature of a human being. The pairs of opposites. We said, when you act on good vasanas, good desires, you generate more good desires and actions. If you act on your bad vasanas, Bad desires, you continue becoming a bad person, generating more bad desires and actions. An egoistic, selfish person. So placed in the middle between the two armies means neither good nor bad. See, we always think good is better than bad, which it is. In this case, we're saying neither. You rise above the good and bad. Rise above the good and bad desires, vastness, by surrendering to the higher. The teachings of the Lord are scriptures. In this case, the teachings of Krishna in the Gita that we're studying. And when you do that, you gain knowledge of the self. God. Recording in progress. 
And then with this teaching, you act based on neither good nor bad vastness. So what do you do? If you're not acting on good or bad vastness, what do you do? Yeah, Dermis? You're depleting the vastness. Sorry? You're, you're getting rid of vastness by not acting on them. Yeah, so how are you acting then? How are you acting? You, you're not carrying out any vastness, or you're not adding to any. Okay. So you're, you're, instead, you're acting on what you ought to do in life. That's it. Your teacher, you teach. Your businessman, you do business. Your doctor, you treat people. That's it. For example, taking these classes. I can do it with the desire that I want to be famous, or money. I want hundreds of people in my class. Or taking these classes is what I ought to do. That's it. No appendixes afterwards. Why is there only 30 people today? By now, I should have had 70 people. All those increases desires. Sunday, 10.30, take my class. That's it, finished, done. No thoughts there after. Just doing what you ought to do. And the result of doing this is that it reduces your desires, as Dharamesh said, reduces your vastness, depletes what you came with without generating new vastness. Krishna says, Arjuna, you have been grieving for those that should not be grieved for. Why shouldn't they, why shouldn't they be grieving for them? Two reasons. Why should Arjuna not be grieving for all his relatives on the Kaurava side? Vanita? Because he, as a Shastri, he should carry out his duty, and his duty is not to worry about his relatives. Yeah. And another reason? What's the other reason? No, sorry. Um, I think um, Krishna said that they they were there before and they will be there after. So it doesn't really matter what happens. Absolutely. Birth and death is natural. It is part of life. We covered it last week. The fact you are born, therefore you will die. What's the big deal? Arjuna. The wise meaning a person who understands this truth of life does not grieve for the living nor for the dead. It's because of your lack of wisdom, because of our lack of wisdom that we grieve for the dead. But after these few classes of chapter two, you will understand because this is what it covers. Up to verse 30, we all we're covering is what is birth and death, reincarnation. We also said, just as electricity connected to a bulb gives an expression of light, similarly, we as humans, our body, mind, intellect has no life, but only when in contact with the Atman, the spirit, the self, is there an expression of life. Atman is in all living beings all life, and it is the same in all of us. Atman is eternal, does not die. 
You are not the body, mind, intellect. You are the I, the self. This I is your real personality. And even when you die, the I continues. So what's there to grieve about? That's just a basic recap of what we've covered so far, so that everyone's on the same page. Any questions before we start? So. I don't know if it's a question or a clarification as such. Can everyone hear? You were saying about vasanas, mm -hmm. right? Um, increasing or reducing. So, but we're all born with a certain number of vasanas mm -hmm. and we don't know all of them because they can manifest at any time. So if we don't know how many we're born with and what they are, how can we go about reducing them? Okay. Anybody like to answer that? How do we go about reducing them if we don't know what vasanas we have? Yeah, Meghna? Yeah, I think you can only reduce the ones that come about when they come about. And you need that sort of element of blind faith to know that as you are just decreasing them, that will be that. You will never really know how many there are in total, but you just work to decrease them as you carry on. Being objective. This is what Meghna saying. Being objective. That's not manifest. You have a choice of acting on it or the choice of eliminating it. And to eliminate it, you need knowledge. Why you should eliminate it. When it manifests, you'll automatically, most people will say, oh no, I need to fulfill this. You go past the shoe shop, you have 30 pairs of shoes already. Oh, I love those shoes. Yeah, you have a choice to go in and buy it or think, hang on, that's a vasana for shoes. I have already 30 pairs. I don't need another pair. You carry on walking past the shop. That vasana is eliminated now. So vasanas will manifest, of course. The mind is such, but if the intellect's developed, you have enough knowledge and understanding of your purpose in life, then you're in control of them rather than them being in control of you. So when the vasana, when the desire manifests, so vasanas manifest into thoughts. You pass the shop. Oh, those are nice shoes. The thought comes across in your mind. I haven't got a pair of those. I like those. At that point, if your intellect is developed enough, you can say, I don't need them. I have a pair already similar to that. But once it becomes a desire, and the more you look at it, then you go in the shop, you start feeling it, you start trying it, you're finished. Because you have a strong vasna for shoes. And now you're, you're out of, it's out of control. You have a 30 day money back guarantee, look here. Great. <laughs> you're, you're hurt you put you <laughs> this is it so when you go past the shop when the vasana manifests the desire manifests you need to eliminate it what is my purpose in life to reduce my desires and not to increase them you will carry on walking is that okay any questions yeah Kevin. Yeah, I think in, in, in one of our previous classes, we also discussed that um, as a human, we obviously possess an intellect and we can develop that intellect and we can become self-realized. Um, and that point 
and there's a chance for us to eliminate all our vastness, right? It's not only the ones that we have arrived with on the on, on earth with, right? Uh, we can eliminate all. So I think not knowing what the total number of vastness is, is irrelevant. The point is that we should just try and eliminate all of them. And we've got that golden opportunity right now, right there, right? Absolutely. So if you're developed enough and your single purpose in life is that I need to reach that goal of self-realization, no matter what desire comes in, unless it's a desire that helps you get there, you're not going to entertain it. So how strong is that? Mumukshatwa, as they say. Mumukshatwa means a desire for liberation. How strong is that Mumukshatwa in you? See, the fact that you're in this class, you have mumukshatva, you have a yearning, even if you don't know it. Otherwise, why would you be listening to this? If a person doesn't have mumukshatva, a desire for liberation, they would come to this class and think, what is this nonsense this guy's talking about? No mumukshatva. This liberation, I'm liberated. I've got big back balance. I'm liberated. That's how you would look at it. No mumukshatra. But you'd only be listening to this, entertaining this subject if you have mumukshatra. Because we're talking about liberation from this world, liberation of this body, mind, and intellect. You have to have that. Any other questions? Is that okay? Does that make sense? Dharmesh? Good. Okay. So we'll start with... Now these verses are very deep. I have to tell you, and you, you may feel it's gone above your head. Don't worry. As we said, in chapter two, it's the deepest knowledge in the book of the 18 chapters. From chapter three, it'll be all diluted again. Whatever you can gain from it, you gain. But you have the understanding and the faith that there is depth to this knowledge. And if you understand there's depth to this knowledge, even though I don't understand it, you will tolerate the rest of the uh, 15 chapters. <laughs> yeah? Okay. Look, the sun's shining on us now as well. Verse 13. Dehi no sminyata dehe, komaram yovanam jara, tata dehantara prabdir, dirastatra namuhyati. Dehi no sminyata dehe, komaram yovanam jara, Tata de hantara praptir, dirastatra namuhyati. Just as the embodied passes through childhood, youth, and old age in this body, so does it pass into another body. There, the wise one is not grieved. So, talking about what happens when you die. 
A human is made up of the physical body, what we see in the mirror every day. This is called the gross body. Then you have the mind and intellect and vasanas. This is called the subtle body. And then you have the Atman in living everything. In this verse, the mind and intellect is described as the embodied. This is a new word to all of you. The mind and intellect is described as the embodied. We'll explain what that means. Krishna goes on to explain that Atman is the life force in everything. Without Atman, there would be no life. Only when the body, mind, and intellect come in contact with Atman is there an expression of life. We just said that. I'm talking now because of the Atman. You're listening to me because of the Atman living in you. I'm nodding my head because of Atman. Atman is the same in all beings and objects. Atman existed in the past. Atman exists now in the present and it will exist in the future. It is unchanging. Atman existed before you were born and will continue to exist after your death. Atman is eternal. Atman is all-pervading, omnipresent, therefore everywhere. Hence, it is described as immovable. You can only move something from one place to another if it does not exist in the other place. Don't worry too much about it. So what is the difference between beings if Atman is the same? Atman is the same in everyone. What is the difference between beings? Yeah, Dimple? Is it our personalities? Our personality, which is made up of? Our body, mind, and, body, mind, and, and intellect. And vastness. So the only difference is the vastness and the body, mind, intellect. And this creates all the different personalities that we see around us. Our material equipments, body, mind, intellect, it says in here, passes through the different phases in life, changes from a child to an adult to an old man. Thereafter, the embodied, meaning mind, intellect, and vasanas, continues the cycle and moves to another body. I know it's a lot to take in. Embodied mind and intellect and vasanas continues the cycle and moves to another body at death. Why? Because this body cannot fulfill your vasanas anymore. So the embodied mind, intellect, vasanas goes through the phases of young child, teenager, adult, old man, body dies, Mind, intellect, vastness moves to a new body. That's what it says. 
Why does it do this? Because the body cannot fulfill your vasanas anymore. You're 80 years old, watching Strictly Come Dancing. They're doing the samba. You have a strong desire to also do the samba. Dance, you cannot, because you're, you have a walking stick. You're too old. So at the death of this body, the gross body, the mind, intellect, with your vasanas, moves to the next body. Why? So to continue to exhaust your desires, your vasanas. This is the death of the old body, birth of the new body. And this continues until you have exhausted all your vasanas. How many lives you must have taken in the past, we don't know. When you have exhausted all your vasanas, at this point, you reach the state of self-realization. And then the cycle stops. No more birth and death. This is the goal of all human life. This is called the theory of reincarnation. Any questions? Theory of reincarnation. I'll give you another example, then we'll take questions. Another way of explaining reincarnation. You have a mirror in a frame, eight by 10. The frame is old, but the mirror is not cracked, it's fine. You put it in the garden and it's reflecting the sunlight. So you go and buy a new frame, same size, eight by 10. You take the mirror part out and put it in the new frame. Now the sunlight is no longer reflecting in the old frame. The sunlight is now reflecting from the new frame. The new frame holding the mirror. Death of the old mirror and birth of the new mirror. What has changed? What has changed? Just Only the frame. frame. Only the frame. Only the frame has changed. So you die and are reborn because this environment is no longer suitable for you. The new body is actually progress, a promotion. Just as the new mirror is now sparkling, clean, brand new. The mirror looks brand new now. Why? You just changed the frame. Never 20 years of life. Next life might be better than this one. So why are you worried? But the people left behind, your partner, children, friends, of the person who passed away, they grieve. Why? Because of the attachment to that person. Their own attachment to the person who's passed away. They grieve because they don't understand what death is. My husband has died. Now I can't live anymore. You know, we were married for 65 years. What will I do without him? For 65 years, we bind ourselves with our partner. Then due to ignorance, we can't handle the death. It's like we are dead as well, even though we are alive. 
Therefore, the wise understand this phenomenon of reincarnation and are unaffected by birth and death. So Arjuna does not understand this, is ignorant of this, hence he is suffering. That's verse 13. Told you this verses are deep. Any questions? Does everyone understand? It doesn't matter if you don't, but you get the gist of it. Kebo. Yeah, you said that um, we we should look at death sort of, uh, sort of as a promotion, right? Because we have a new body, but it's not always a promotion. It could technically be a demotion too, based on what fasteners you've made in your current life, right? Absolutely. But even those you have negative vasanas, they need fulfilling, which you can't fulfill. Mm -hmm. So new birth is to continue fulfilling your vasanas, bad or good. You see, even if you want to murder someone, you're, you, can't, you can't get out of your wheelchair. You, you have to be born again, even though you have negative vasanas. Yeah, but being born again doesn't mean you take the human form, right? You could take a different form. And then very difficult. Apparently, it says that to take a birth lower is very difficult, very um, unusual. It's very unusual, they say, once you reach that state of human life. You have to be really, really bad in the sense you like killing and society doesn't allow you to kill then you might be born as a tiger or lion, so you can freely kill. Because you have such strong vasanas. But otherwise it's difficult. Any other questions on what we just covered? This is the theory of reincarnation. Just come in. So if it's the theory, does that not mean we need to question whether we are, when we are reborn, whether we're reborn as humans or as animals, because that's what we've been taught. So we're conditioned into thinking like that. I mean, nobody really knows. Unfortunately, no one's come back to say it's not a theory. Yes, exactly. So to say you're born as a lower form mm. than a human being is still concept. It's not. Yeah, absolutely. But this is, if we believe in what the scriptures say, and it says that the chance of being, it says, yes, you can be born as a not a human. But once you reach that state, it's very difficult to go lower, they're saying. Because most people are good people. But yes, you're absolutely right. You can become an animal. Why not? As a human, if you can't fulfill your vastness, then maybe you come back as an animal that can freely fulfill those vastness. Absolutely, we don't know. But the theory of reincarnation, um, it's a theory because no one can prove it. But scientifically, we will cover this later on. Scientifically, we look at energy. Energy cannot go into nothing. And that supports this theory. but we'll cover that later, all you scientists. Any other questions? Okay. 
verse 14. Sorry, um, who's reading? Uh, Nilam. Atman is all-pervading, omnipresent. It exists in all sentient beings and inert objects. Being all-pervading, it has no movement. Because if it already exists everywhere, where could it move? Therefore, Atman is said to be immovable. Yet the general belief is that at death, Atman moves away from the physical body. This is not true. At the time of death, the mind intellect, not the Atman, leaves the body and enters another. This transference of mind intellect from one physical body to another is the death of the previous body and the birth of the new body. The phenomenon occurs within the medium of the all-pervading Atman. The body-mind intellect defines the individual human personality. Beyond the material equipment of the body-mind intellect lies the spirit or Atman, the very core of the human being. Every individual has this same spiritual core, the all-pervading Atman. The heterogeneous variety of beings arises out of the heterogeneous variety of the material equipments. The material equipment passes through the different stages of childhood, youth and old age. Likewise, the embodied mind intellect passes into another body at the time of death. Therefore, neither the embodied mind intellect nor Atman ceases at the time of death. Your mind intellect uses your physical body to fulfill and exhaust your existing desires or vasanas. Vasanas are desires in the unmanifest form. When your present body can no longer be used to exhaust your vasanas, your mind intellect finds another physical body that can exhaust them. The old body dies and the new body is born. This process of birth and death goes on and on until your last vasana is exhausted and your mind intellect merges with Atman. You become one with the Supreme Self. You become one with God. The wise understand this process of reincarnation and its accumulation in self-realization. Hence, they do not grieve at the change of life. When you understand this, you don't grieve when someone passes away. It's a natural phenomenon. Verse 14. Matras pasas tu conteya Sitos na sukka dukka daha Agama paino nitya Stam stitik saspa parata Matras pasas tu conteya Sitos na sukka dukka Kadaha Agama Paino Nitya Stamstitiksas Paparata. The sense contacts, O Konteya, which cause heat and cold, pleasure and pain, they come and go. They are impermanent. Endure them, O Bharata. This is a really useful verse for everyone. You can use it in life now. Krishna addresses Arjuna as Konteya and Bharata. He calls him by these names to highlight his noble heritage, his noble background. 
You are the son of Kunti Mata. Your heritage is that of a high caste Indian, a Kshatriya. He says this to demonstrate to Arjuna that he is qualified and capable of receiving this high spiritual knowledge, this knowledge of life, what this world is made up of. So what's this verse saying? The world is made up of pairs of opposites. When we contact the world with our five senses, eyes, ears, nose, touch, speech, we go through these experiences of the pairs of opposites. Heat and cold, pleasure and pain, honor and dishonor, war and peace, no COVID then COVID, they come and go. This is the way the world is. If it was not like that, this would not be the world. Simple as that. So you have to accept the world as it is. There's nothing you can do about it. But everything is changing. Nothing stays permanent. But the problem here is that we all have strong likes and dislikes. The world is changing constantly and we have fixed likes and dislikes. So there's a friction. I like summer, I don't like winter. You're miserable for six months of the year. You'll be happy when it's an experience you like and unhappy when you experience something you don't like. This is how you are because of your strong likes and dislikes. Every time you contact the world, you have an experience and life is made up of a flow of these experiences, of these temporary passing, changing sensations. From the time you, you woke up this morning, you are completely different people. You've changed so much already. You don't realize it. No experience is permanent. It is always changing. So Krishna is saying, the nature of life is it goes through ups and downs. And he's saying, what you can change, you change. But what you can't, you practice titiksha. This is a new word, titiksha. It mean, means live with it the best you can, tolerate it. Titiksha means having the capacity to deal with difficult situations with pleasure, happily, meaning not complaining. When it's winter, deal with it, get an extra coat, don't complain. It's not gonna change for you, this is the world. Tolerate it. See, if we don't develop this tolerance, this capacity of the diksha, who suffers? Who suffers? We do. We do. 
So why do you want to suffer? Lack of knowledge. You don't like your manager, he's always angry. You understand that is their nature, that is their nature. You can't change it, therefore you have to tolerate it. Or you find another job. But you tolerate it with understanding, without complaining. Because they're acting based on their own nature. Just because you don't like their nature, but you're agitated, what's the point? You're suffering for something you can't change. Lack of knowledge, lack of understanding. The bit of knowledge can change your whole attitude to life. No point complaining about it, only you will be agitated. So, in life, we need to approach all experiences with the understanding, even this shall pass away, because it's all temporary. Nothing stays forever. It's all temporary. And if you have this understanding, life will be smoother for you. Any questions? So this is a really good verse to take away to make the difference between pain and pleasure, happiness or agitations, if you understand this verse. Any questions? So what will you be practicing after this class? The diksha. Remember that word, today's class, let's take that one away. What I can't change, I must tolerate. Okay. Krishna addresses Arjuna as Kontea and Bharata. Both these words refer to his ancestry. Kontea means son of Kunti, referring to Arjuna's virtuous mother. Bharata means belonging to or descended from the great country of Bharat, which is India. The reference to such noble parentage suggests Arjuna's competence to receive the high spiritual knowledge that follows. An endless number of pairs of opposites make up the world. Contacts made with the world are said to cause heat and cold, joy and sorrow. These pairs of opposites symbolizes the external experiences of the physical body and the internal experiences of the mind. All are transient, fleeting. They pass away. War and peace, birth and death, profit and loss, good and bad, pleasure and pain, honor and dishonor, ad infinitum, come and go. Your life is a continuous flow of experiences of these transitory opposites. Neither one of each pair of opposites is permanent. No experience is permanent. You need to deal with every experience with a clear understanding of its impermanent nature. The word titiksha means endurance, patience, forbearance, a capacity to put up with difficulty cheerfully. 
Since the world consists, constantly presents you with a pair of opposites, you're bound, to face face, you're bound to face certain situations, environments, beings, and things which may be opposed to your preference. Understand the undesirable as an inevitable facet of life. Whatever needs correction, set it right if possible. If not, practice titiksha with a philosophical outlook. Even this will pass away. There you go. Nothing is permanent. It's all temporary. It will pass. Someone, we, we, there's a poem, isn't there? Uh, even this shall pass away. We've, we've covered the poems book already. Um, but uh, for people who are new to this class, there is a poem on this subject, even this shall pass away. If we have time, we'll read it at the end of the class. Yeah? Any questions? Verse 15. Samadukka sukkam diram somrittatvayakalpate. The man whom, verily, these afflict not, O Purusaba, Purusasaba, balanced in pain and pleasure, steadfast, he is fit for immortality. See, one verse leads to another verse. We just covered the pairs of opposites how we are affected. It's saying here, you have to rise above it if you want to reach self-realization. We'll cover it in more detail now. As I explained to you, in life, from the time we are born, we start creating likes and dislikes. This is a continuation of the previous verse. In life, from time we are born, we start creating likes and dislikes. Even as a baby, I like this food, I don't like that food. Then as a child, I like this toy, I am not that toy. This program and not that program. And the problem is the parents promote it further. Don't feed him that. She doesn't like it. We do that. You're encouraging those likes and dislikes. Then as a teenager, it gets worse. I like this friend, not that friend. This music, these clothes, they get stronger. An adult, likes and dislikes are the strongest. No one to tell you anything. You, have, you go ahead and fulfill your own likes and dislikes. And what he's saying is we live our whole life going after what we like and avoiding what we dislike. Whole life, you analyze your life. You gravitate to what you like and stay away from what you don't like. You might say, well, what is wrong with likes and dislikes? There's nothing wrong with likes and dislikes, so what? Unfortunately, the law is that what we don't like is usually in the long run good for us. Don't ask me why. 
And what we do like generally becomes bad for us in the long run. This is the law. We don't like exercise, we avoid it. In the long run, it's good for us. We like eating junk food, takeouts, Uber Eats. Long-term is bad for our health. The problem is we become mentally agitated. Whenever we come across what we don't like, and this mental agitation creates stress. This is a problem. When our likes are not fulfilled, we become agitated, which leads to stress. So what it's saying is, an extrovert person is affected by the pairs of opposites since he's focused on the sense organs and their contact with sense objects. They're constantly fulfilling their desires for acquisition and enjoyment from the world. And they're affected by these likes and dislikes an extroverted person, so they're always agitated. The whole life's pursuit is external in the world. How can I fulfill my desires? How can I fulfill my likes and dislikes? Or my likes and avoid my dislikes? It's saying an introvert, a person who rises above likes and dislikes is not affected by this. Their focus is in pursuing the self introverted and as much as they're steadfast in pursuing the self they're mentally balanced and unaffected by the pairs of opposites so when we say they're not affected they still feel pain and pleasure but they have this understanding this is part of parcel of life they accept it you have a choice, extroverted or introverted. As you gain more of this knowledge, you become more and more introverted. Without this knowledge, you're more extroverted. All you know about is fulfilling your desires, avoiding what you dislike, fulfilling what you like. So to, to pursue the self, to reach self-realization, this is the qualification. You have to rise above likes and dislikes, not being affected by likes and dislikes, and you become introverted. You see, how can you concentrate on pursuing the self if you are constantly agitated? You need a calm mind, calm intellect. Only then you can pursue the self. So he's saying you to qualify, you have to rise above it. I know it sounds deep and I know it, you think, well, how, how am I gonna ever achieve that? That's fine. From chapter three, we start talking about how to achieve that. Immortality means deathless, birthless. This is the state of self-realization. No more process of birth and death. Krishna calls Arjuna Purusasabha. This is the state. When he calls him Purusabha, it means bull among men, meaning the best of men. He tells Arjuna, Purusabha, you are bull among the best of men. 
because Arjuna lived his life based on service and sacrifice. This is how a bull lives his life. It gives so much for very little. It's a bit of grass. It gives so much. Fuel, milk, so much. Hence, regarded as a sacred animal in India. For minimum intake, it gives maximum output. So this reference is to suggest that Arjuna qualifies to reach the state of perfection, self-realization. This is what Krishna... Basically, Krishna is goading Arjuna to come out of his... come out of his... Uh, fallen state by saying positive words to him. Hey, you are like Kunti Mata's son. You are an Indian. Come on, behave like one. You are Purushaba, a bull amongst men. Why are you not behaving like one? So this is all to get him, raise him. And once he's done that, from chapter three, he gives him the knowledge as he needs it. Was it positive? What's the word? Reinforcement. Positive reinforcements. Krishna is giving Arjuna. Any questions? So a spiritual person becomes introverted, not extroverted. If you're an introverted person spiritually, you don't need to go to temples. You don't need any of that. Because you understand the self is within me, I have to go inside, not outside. This is an introverted person. You study knowledge, it reminds you of the self. You can pursue it that way. You don't need a temple or murtis, etc. They're just to remind you. But you already know that the self is within you. You don't need that reminder. Any questions? As I said, these few verses are quite deep. Hema. An extroverted person focuses mainly on the sense organs and their contacts with the sense objects. He develops endless desires for the acquisition and enjoyment of the world. These unfulfilled desires cause him mental agitations. He suffers sorrow in life, whereas an introverted person focuses his attention more on the inner self than the outer objects and beings. He remains determined in his purpose to reach the self. He moves steadfastly on the path to self-realization. Engrossed as he is in the higher being, the sense objects do not affect him. He remains balanced in pain and pleasure. Such a person alone qualifies to gain immortality, the ultimate state of self-realization or God-realization. Ete means these. It refers to the sense contacts mentioned in the previous verse. They do not afflict an introvert pursuing the self. They do not disturb his mental equanimity. He remains balanced in pain and pleasure. This does not mean he is devoid of pain and pleasure. He experiences them like others do, but with one difference. Others get affected by these experiences. Pain and sorrow drown them in dejection. 
Pleasure and joy excite them with elation. But an introvert steadfast on his path to truth maintains his mental equipoise in and through his experiences of pain and pleasure, sorrow and joy. A mind balanced in the variety of experiences in the world qualifies for meditation upon the self, the final gateway to immortality. Immortality means deathless, means birthless, the state of self-realization. The ultimate experience of Godhood, Krishna draws Arjuna's attention to that state of absolute perfection by addressing him as Purusarasabha, bull among men. In India, the bull is considered sacred. Sacredness is attributed to it because it lives the lofty principle of service and sacrifice. Arjuna followed the same principle in his life. Due to his lifelong service and sacrifice, the people of his time acclaimed him as the best among men, being one of the best among mankind. He qualifies to rise above the world of pleasure and pain and gain the immortal self. Well done. Thank you, Hema. Any questions? See, to reach self-realization, the process is to reduce your desires as much as you can. When there's a few desires left, you go into meditation. When you meditate, those of you who have meditated, when you meditate, if you have lots of desires, your mind is agitated. But when you have very few desires, your mind is calm. So you can only meditate when you have very few desires. And as Kewal said, you have to eliminate all your desires. You can only eliminate them when you've got very few left. And while you're meditating, you reach that experience of self-realization and all the desires fall away. But that's only when you've got very few, because while you're meditating, you cannot be agitated. Otherwise, you can't meditate. Constantly, the mind's taking you to the world. You can't have that. So you have to be calm, poised, steadfast, only then you can reach that state. And then whatever few desires you have left, they're eliminated. Any questions? That's, a, that's the process of self-realization. So um, we got the last verse, but this is even more deeper. <laughs> Than the other three and I think it might be a bit um, too much so what I'll I think maybe we'll read that poem it's a bit more lighter and it reflects the um, verses we've covered today um, Benita sorry but I think um, it might be too deep at this end stage of the class but um, you can read it next time so would you get me that a poem please is that okay for everyone yeah because um, yeah, it'll be a bit too much. It's not that we can do it, but I want you to get the maximum out of it. So for those of you who got the book, this, even this shall pass away. So this poem highlights that verse we covered where everything is temporary. 
This world is temporary. All experiences are temporary. Nothing stays permanent. Okay. Even this shall pass away. Once in Persia reigned a king who upon his signet ring graved the maxim true and wise, which, if held before his eyes, gave him counsel at a glance, fit for every change and chance, solemn words, and these are they, even this shall pass away. He's a king. Trains of camels through the sand brought him gems from summer chand. Fleets of galleys through the seas brought him pearls to match with these. But he counted not his gain, treasures of the mine or main. What is wealth, the king would say, even this shall pass away. Mid the revels of his court, at the zenith of his sport, when the palms of all his guests burned with clapping at his jests, he, amid, amid his figs and wine, cried, O loving friends of mine, pleasures come but not to stay, even this shall pass away. Lady fairest ever seen was the bride he crowned his queen, pillowed on his marriage bed, softly to his soul, he said, Though no bridegroom ever pressed fairer bosom to his breast, mortal flesh must come to clay, even this shall pass away. Fighting on a furious field, once a javelin pierced his shield. Soldiers with a loud lament bore him bleeding to his tent. Groaning from his tortured side, pain is hard to bear, he cried, but with patience day by day. Even this shall pass away. Towering in the public square, 20 cubits in the air, rose his statue carved in stone. Then the king, disguised unknown, stood before his sculptured name, musing meekly, what is fame? Fame is but a slow decay. Even this shall pass away. Struck with palsy, sore and old, waiting at the gates of gold, said he with this dying breath, life is done, but what is death? Then, in answer to the king, fell a sunbeam on his ring, showing by a heavenly ray, even this shall pass away. Theodore Tilton. So this is life. Nothing is permanent. He covers everything that we pursue in life. Name, fame, power, beauty. He had this wise understanding. His ring was engraved. Even this shall pass away. That was counsel for all stages of his life. Mentally balanced. Nothing phased him. Any questions on the poem? So I think that covers the verses quite well today.
So remember, practice the diksha. Any general questions? So next week is Diwali. So we're proposing not to have a class because most people will have some family get together and other uh, celebrations, I'm sure. So if everyone's okay, we'll, we'll miss next Sunday being Diwali. And then we'll continue in the new year. Is it new year, the following week? In the new Indian calendar year, we'll continue with verse 16. And we can still have the um, group discussion on Tuesday if everybody wants. Yeah. Good. Okay. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you in, in two weeks' time. And happy Diwali. Happy New Year to everyone. Enjoy your celebrations.